Welcome back to Not Your Practice Life Podcast. I am your host, Michelle Urso, an accountability coach, life and relationship coach, and I am so excited to be here today with my guest and best friend over 16 years, Miss Mara Mahdi. We are here to talk about addiction today because this podcast is going to talk about things that are near and dear to my heart and to people in my life. And hopefully it impacts you and touches some part of your life as well, because there across the globe, there are roughly 30 million people with an addiction. And in 2016, 626,000 Americans had a heroin addiction. And according to the National Institute of Drug Abuse in 2021, 106,000 people died from a drug overdose. So I know this is a worldwide epidemic that. Frankly, I don't think we talk about enough. So that's why I wanted to bring on this guest today, Miss Mara Mahdi. She has been clean for over eight years. <laughs> she can roll herself in here. Hi, guys. We are in this dingy hotel room here in Connecticut. I'm up for military duty. And one of my favorite things about coming up for military duty is seeing Mara every single month. Um, it's just a highlight of my month to see her. So And mine as well. We decided to do a show today, which I'm super pumped about because this topic, like I said, is so important to me, so important to you, Mm -hmm. and why not talk about it? So tell me a little bit about, I mean, I know, but tell the audience a little bit about your past. Well, like you said, um, I think it's a very important topic. I think even if you don't, aren't going through addiction and you don't have a family member, you, I feel like everyone knows at least one person that Mm -hmm. goes through it, just like with cancer now with COVID it's so widespread that I just feel like everyone deals with it in a different way. My drug of choice was heroin. Um, but it, it smoking, I mean, smoking alcohol, it's, there's addictions that are, um, all, (laughs) You name it, it could be an addiction. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's lottery lot. tickets, alcohol, gambling, like yeah. anything can be turned into it. Shopping addictions, mm-hmm. addiction. And I am very nervous, but I I do love to talk about not so much addiction, but recovery. And that's because I've lived, you know, to be here and to talk about it. And I'm very lucky that I have. There's a lot of people that have not made it to the point that I'm at. Um it took a long time. It took many, many mistakes and relapses. And so my story, I don't know if you want me to get into my story. Yeah. Uh, so we're going to dive deep. I'm just going to ask yeah. you questions. And then if you, there's other things that you want to add, please feel free to add whatever you want. All right. I'm ready. Perfect. So I want you to take me back to like when it all first started. Like when, when was the first time that you used? So great question. Um, I battled with addiction my whole, I feel like, teenage life. Um, I was addicted to cutting. I was self-injury um, with cutting. And I didn't know why I did that. It just was something that I could control. It was a release that I felt. And when I wanted to do it, I'd think about it all day. Um, and then I had a plan and I would do it. Um, I also was very experimental in high school, Um, And it wasn't to be cool. It just, I really loved doing drugs. I did Coke and um, any drug you could think of. I tried with the exception of heroin. How old were you when you first started? Like cutting was the first thing that you did? Yeah, I would say I was about 13 when I started cutting. And that was all the way up to college. I mean, I was in college and I would do it. It just was like a release. Um, But I didn't start drinking and smoking cigarettes till I was about 14. And then around 15, I started um, 
using harder drugs, such as like ecstasy, cocaine, acid, things like that. But it, it wasn't, it wasn't an everyday thing. It was like something like, all right, every weekend, I'm going to try this. Um, I'm going to hang out with my friends. It was not something that I had to do every day, um, but I enjoyed doing it. And then it was uh, after college, years later, I can tell you, I could pinpoint the day that I tried my drug of choice, which again is heroin. Um, and it was a decision I made and it started with a decision. And after that first decision, there was no, it was no longer a choice. And I think a lot of people have a hard time uh, understanding that, you know, and there was, there's even people in my family that I've had to distance myself from because they believed this was a choice that Mara is doing. Um, she's throwing away her life. She's destroying everything, but I just, it just was no longer a choice. The minute I tried it, um, I felt myself going out of control and that was it for me. And it just, <clears throat> it just happened. And then it was no longer, it became a disease. I, and to, to re, 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 re <laughs> I don't want to say the word. Reiterate. Yeah. Let's cut that out. Yeah. Um, and to explain a little bit more, I don't have any addiction in my family. I am the first one, um, to be addicted in my family. So it definitely wasn't genetic for me as it is for some people. Mm -hmm. It was purely, I tried it and my brain was wired to, I don't, I, I don't know that part, I guess is a mystery. I just loved it. Yeah. And I can relate so much to that with the family members being like, this is a choice you're making because I know my mom was struggling with breast cancer and my brother was deep into his heroin addiction. And I, was bawling my eyes out looking at him like can you please stop like you're killing mm. our mom because mm. she was going through chemo and radiation and any amount of stress could potentially destroy her recovery process right and she was so stressed out with his addiction because he was so bad in it and I just remember looking at him being like why can't you just stop right but you can't and there's a fantastic article by footprints to recovery I'll put it in the show notes but they say like an opioid relapses are so high because of the chemical dependency that it has in your brain. So like any other disease, cancer, um, diabetes, addiction is a disease. It gets to that point where it just rewires your brain to that's all you can focus on all day, all night. Right. And I think a lot, and that's why it's so important that we talk about it because a lot of people don't understand that. And I've seen a lot of judgmental and hurtful things said about people who are in active addiction um, and that's why I love talking, you know, someone once told me, oh, you glorify, you know, you think you're cool and you talk about how you used to do drugs, but I don't talk about that. And I definitely don't glorify it. I talk about my struggle so that people can understand how to recover. And a lot of people don't. And, um, it's definitely, it's hard. It's not easy. And I, I do wish that more people would be understanding and, and, and know a little bit more about it, which is why we're doing the podcast today about it. Yeah, absolutely. And that was going to be one of my questions later on was what do people misunderstand about you the most, do you think? Well, I think now that I'm eight years clean, I'll be nine years clean in February. I think now people are shocked that they say, oh my gosh, you, you were a heroin addict. They were, they're shocked. Um, I but I totally think, see that. yeah, because I've really, I mean, it took a long time for me to get here and many, many relapses 
And if they had known me back then, I mean, I was a terrible friend, a terrible daughter, a terrible employee. Um, now I strive to, to be the best because I was so terrible. But Which I can say firsthand, because like I said, we've been friends for 16 years. So I've seen this girl go highs and lows, but she has been getting awards at work. Um, my best friend will do anything for me. Like there are very few people in this world I can say would drop anything at any moment to help me. And this girl is one of them. And it's just like amazing to see the ride and the wave that you've been on through life in the last 16 years. Because when I met you 2007, mm -hmm. you, I don't, you weren't a, I was not. I don't know if you were doing anything, but to me, it didn't seem like you were on anything. I drank, yeah. of course, because it was college, college, and I would still cut, but I was not doing, I've distanced, I had an um, experience when I was a sophomore in, in, in college. Uh, I had a death that we can touch about, you mm -hmm. know, touch upon later. Um, when we talk about, you know, getting to recovery, one of the things I had to address that, but um because of that death and that experience that I went through, I was adamant, like, I am not going to do drugs. I distanced myself from people who were doing drugs. And that's around the time I met you yeah, and just met a bunch of people. And I remember thinking like, wow, like these new girlfriends, like we're out having fun. We don't even have to drink. So I was very, I didn't start using my drug of choice until well after college, I was fully employed um, it was quite a few years after. Okay. I wasn't yeah. sure if you had done heroin before and then got clean. Yeah, no. Okay. Nope. That was the only, one that. of the only drugs that I had not tried. Okay. Yeah. All right. So let's, let's go back. So you started with cutting, then you started to dabble in just experimental stuff here and there in high yeah. school. And then take me through that road. So I know you started heroin after, but if you want to go through the process from high school to college and what happened? Sure. So, um, I, th I feel like a lot of people start using because they have gone through a trauma. And that's one of the reasons why I feel like people relapse a lot is because they don't want to deal with that trauma through therapy or they deal with the trauma and they're not well equipped on how to deal with it. And it's very overwhelming. One of the things in recovery that I've learned and you'll you'll, you'll know about, about this. Um, I have to be in control. So that means I learned very quickly, um, this last time, this last eight years, um, that I needed a schedule. So I needed to come home and walk the dog right away. I needed to eat dinner every night at six 30. I needed to wake up every day because those were all the things I could control because everything is out of control in that serenity prayer you know, except the things you cannot change. Um, that was very difficult for me. And so being structured and having a schedule was something that helped me a lot. And so when you deal with traumas in therapy, you start feeling un out of control. You start feeling your emotions and you don't really like, I mean, in my experience, those emotions really are a trigger for me. I don't like feeling bad. I want to feel numb. I don't want to think about it. I'm very lucky in a way that I'm able to pinpoint my traumas, whereas people, I feel like they're not quite sure what happened, like, oh, maybe something in childhood. I can tell you exactly in my life what happened and how that affected me and how it affected me becoming an addict. 
one of those things was um, I was a sophomore in high school and I was dating um, someone named George who I had dated and he was actually my first boyfriend, the person I lost my virginity to. Oh my gosh, I loved him so much. And I ended up meeting him again when I was in college and we kind of got back together and he was in recovery. He was paralyzed from the waist down because he um, had jumped from a building while high in heroin and became paralyzed. And I did not know anything about recovery at the time. I thought he could drink and we could have a good time. And I didn't think it was a big deal that we went out. Um, so I, I enabled him a little bit in that way. And uh, long story short, he ended up dying of a, of a relapse and I found him deceased and it was very traumatic. And that kind of triggered me to say, oh my gosh, I can't believe this happened. I can't believe he chose drugs over me. His life, we were, our life was going to be beautiful together. And so that kept me off drugs for quite a few years in between things happened. Um, a few, a few uh, traumas that I, I don't really want to get into, but I started. So then a few years later, uh, after graduating college, I was working full time and I ended up um, meeting up with an old boyfriend, a different old boyfriend from high school. And he was also in recovery. So now at this point, is this, is this like, I'm almost like drawn to this because right. of that trauma. Um, I don't know if um, many people can relate to that, but it's almost like, okay, if your dad is a certain way, you kind of draw to that, whether it's toxic or not. And I think what happened with George drew me to, um, I don't want to say his name, but this person who, um, Jeff, we can call him Jeff. Great. This, uh, Jeff was, um, in, in recovery, but not really. And, uh, the night that I first used heroin, he wanted to go and get it. And I was saying, no, no, no. And I said, well, and this is probably something I've always wanted to say to George, if you, then I'll do it with you. If, if it's so good and you love it more than me, then I'll just try it with you and we'll do it. And then my mind was going back to George, like, okay, well he loved it so much that he died from it and he chose it because I didn't realize it wasn't a choice. I didn't realize it was a disease. And then, so that was the night that I used and we went and got it. And that was like, I was like throwing up and wanting more. It was so bizarre. Um, do you, can I ask you a question? Sure. I know you said that you in a way had enabled George. Yeah. Do you blame yourself for that? Absolutely not. Because the okay, disease good. is so baffling and cunning and, um, it's, it's powerful and it's more than I could have ever done. It's absolutely, I, I, there wasn't a thing I could have said. There right. wasn't a thing I could have done. You need to have recovery and go through those steps yourself. Nobody can create your rock bottom for you. And I know I watch like the, the intervention shows where they try to create the rock bottom coming from someone who was at rock bottom <laughs> several times Sometimes rock bottom isn't all, it just has to be, you want to wake up and you want to live. And I was sick of waking up every day and not wanting to live. I just, I would, I didn't care if I lived or died. Yeah. I didn't care if I was homeless. I didn't care if I had to do things for drugs that were demeaning and terrible and things I would have never done before. I just, all I cared was, was about that drug until I didn't, until I said, I want to live. 
Yeah, that's what I wanted to ask you. Like, do you remember that pivotal moment where you're like, I can't live my life like this anymore? Like, this is not my practice life. I cannot live like this anymore. If I continue to go down this road, I'm going to die. Yeah. So there were, um, so at one point I was homeless and I was living in my car and I was, um, it was so shameful. You know, I had to go to like Dunkin' Donuts and McDonald's to like shower, you know, in the, in the sink. And I knew people were looking at me. I knew I didn't look good and people knew I was homeless and, um, it was very shameful. And, um, I, I experienced things that I haven't even told you, my best friend, and I probably won't because that doesn't matter. It happened. Um, but I just remember going to, I went to detox during the time I was homeless. I went to detox several times and, um, several times when I left detox, Jeff was waiting in the, in the car with me for me with a loaded needle like when you completed detox and you were released there was one time that he came into detox to convince me to leave he actually got into detox did all the paperwork just so I could leave which is what I did um so several times and then the minute I would leave and I'm talking like 12 there's there's this uh it's called otapped where you're the state sees that you've been on the detox methadone program so many times that um, I believe it's 12 a year that once you're OTAPed, you cannot go back into detox on methadone. They would, they would do it without like cool Turkey. Wow. So it, I was at the point and I don't quote me on the 12. It, it was, it, it was somewhere around there, but there was a point in that one year that I was like, oh, tap where they're like, we can't give you methadone. The state said that you've already filled your requirements, but I would, I would go in and I would do the seven days and I'd feel good. And I would leave and he'd be right there at the doors waiting for me with a loaded needle. And it was so hard because my, my brain was wired that I need it. I'm a better person when I'm on it. Um, but also I've lost everything anyway. So fuck it. My family's not talking to me. I have nowhere to live. I have no money. I've got my dog, which, you know, thank God for her. She's like one of the reasons why I'm clean and Jeff. And so it just was like, you have to want it. And yeah, and, and I didn't, it didn't work for me until I went to a long-term facility and until I realized he's going to kill me. And I'm going to kill myself. And I'm not saying it was his fault. I had, I could have said no. And I think about him every day and I hope he's clean and I hope he's doing well. Um, but we had to separate. We had to, we had to, it had go to be our so separate ways. hard. Yeah. We were engaged and I had like uh, a, the smallest ring that we ended up ponding and you know, everything, everything that I had, I was gone, was gone. So yeah, I had to, the there was really no rock bottom because rock bottom would have you would have thought would have been bathing yourself in a Dunkin' Donuts bathroom <laughs> and you know the cops knowing your name that you know or the things that I had experienced it just there for me it just was like I need to get better I need to get better and then it was eight months clean and then relapse and then four months clean and then relapse. And then I got to a year and then relapse. So it was just learning how to stay clean. That didn't work this time. What's going to work this time. And really just not, not being discouraged because it does take a long time. And the relapse rate is very high. 
it is it's extremely high. That article I was referencing below uh, before said that 40 to 60% of people who get sober will abuse substances again at some point in their lives. 40 to 60%. Yep. That's a lot. Uh, the first time, I think I was like eight months clean. And we actually all went to a birthday. Uh, I don't know if it was a birthday party. It was for a friend, Cret. And I was like, I'm eight months clean. I haven't had any alcohol. I'm ready because I never had a problem with alcohol. I could drink and know when to stop. And so I drank and I had a great time. And uh, the party was in New Britain. And I I lived um, past Hartford. Uh, we're from Connecticut, by the way. We're in Connecticut. It's a beautiful hotel room beautiful in hotel Connecticut. Room. Um, but you had to drive through the, t- the city where I would get, and it was where I would get drugs and it was when I was driving home, I had no thought in my brain about getting high, but then I passed the exit and my car just went off the exit. It was like, and then I was on the street and I was copping drugs and it was, it was never a thought like I'm going to relapse. It was never a plan. It just was, I drank, I'm in a different mindset and my mind just went straight off the exit and I relapsed. And then I lied about it for a really long time. Um, and so then I learned, okay, I can't drink. I cannot drink um, because I'm not in control. And so now being almost nine years clean, I um, don't say I'm sober because I do enjoy adult beverages, but I enjoy them responsibly. It took me five years to learn how to have that first drink. I had to make sure that my keys were with somebody. I had to make sure I was with someone that new right yeah. I think that I think maybe I was with you the very first time I had an adult mm-hmm. beverage but there was a plan and it was a clear cup like I'm gonna have a drink I'm gonna have one drink here are my car keys don't let me you know and it was and then like, talk to you on the way home right it sure was an accountability home. partner and accountability is very important in recovery um and still to this day like I make sure that I'm not drinking all the time and I'm responsible and I'm with someone who knows that you know, but now it's not even a thought it's getting, if, I mean, if it was in front of me, I'm sure I would, but it's not even a thought. It's like, I've learned how to relive my life. That's amazing. Yeah. And I went to a meeting one time with my brother to an NA meeting. And I just remember these two brothers being there, one clean, one in recovery. And one of them said, you know, I've been in recovery for 14 years and every single day is still a struggle for me. And that was really eye opening for me mm-hmm. because not having an addiction, but loving somebody who does, I had no idea that it was like a lifelong battle. Yeah. You know, I had no idea that it was a constant, not that it's constantly coming to mind because thankfully for you, it doesn't, but just that you have to have these practices in place to stop yourself if things get right. hard or you start feeling emotions that you don't want to feel because right. you're so used to numbing them. In but, the I, but I think it doesn't come to mind every day the way that it used to because I keep that structure Mm -hmm. and I keep my mental health in check and I'm doing things every day that make sure that drugs is the last thing that's going to be on my mind. That's amazing. And it's hard in a relationship when you're so structured. Um, I remember meeting my boyfriend who I've been with for now almost four years. And he was like, you eat the same thing every Wednesday at 630. (laughs) You eat the the same thing every Tuesday. <laughs> yes. I, and now it's not so much, but it was like, I knew exactly what I was going to eat on a Wednesday night. 
And it was like, I, I didn't like to, to go out after work. If, you know, if I had friends in town, it was like, Oh, I don't think I can do it. And I've learned how to kind of overcome that as well. We'd still eat at the same time every <laughs> night, though, <laughs> but different foods. But well, different we're messing foods. that up. It's, <laughs> oh, shit. but different foods. So it's just a learning process and, um, it's hard. It's hard. And every day, you know, I never thought that my life would be like this. And I know that some people call me successful. Um, I'm a success story. And, and in a lot of ways I am, I died twice. Um, I've got, uh, I don't know if you can see them on the screen, but I've got a lot of scars up here, broken blood vessels from, um, dying twice from getting CPR. And, um, and that way I'm very successful that I'm here and I'm able to talk about it and I'm able to help people. But in a lot of ways, like it's sad, like I lost 10 years of my life and, uh, I'll never get those 10 years back. And had I not had that moment where I decided to go with Jeff, um, maybe my life would have been the same and maybe addiction would have caught up with me eventually anyways, cause I wasn't processing my feelings or maybe my life would have been different. Um, and you know, I'm learning to not think about things like that, the what could have, could have, would have, cause those will, those will just depress you. Yeah. hundred percent. And I was just looking because I just watched the jelly roll documentary. Do you know who jelly roll is? I've heard about jelly roll. Yeah. He's an amazing human, amazing human being. So he, um, was a full-blown addict, became rapper now just entered the country music scene, which is why I know who he is because mm -hmm. I'm obsessed with country music, but he has a great story. And so he talks about that a lot. He was like, I wrote it down because it just hit me pretty hard. He said, at what point do you make peace with it and actually move on? At what mm -hmm. point do you not feel like you have to carry the sins from your past and you finally done enough to justify living in the past or have you been redeemed by them? So like, mm -hmm. at what point do you forgive yourself so that you can live fully in the present and for the future? Yeah, that gets me right in the throat. We yeah, might have to edit this. Because <laughs> um, you have hard. to forgive yourself. It's hard. I've so I've always wanted to be a mother. And one of the things I feel like because of my addiction, I did not have children. And I feel like it's because I wasted 10 years of my life. And now it was like, and then because of my recovery, because I was so structured, I wasn't dating. And it was like, before I knew it, I was 38 years old and I was still eating dinner the same night. It's just, it just, to me, I blame myself a lot, but you know, and there's friendships that I thought would last forever. And they, the people didn't understand about addiction. And so I had to separate, you know, ways from them or they separated from me really because they thought, Oh, what a bad, terrible person that she's doing this. And you know, they took kind of offense to it that I, I would be high around them. And it wasn't anything against them. I was always high. I was always high. And I thought I was hiding it well and I wasn't, but no, you were not. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I did, but it's yeah, but hard. most addicts do. They think nobody can tell and they just think it's like, and I, great. Went, and I went to work most, I mean, I would show up later, not at all, but I would go to work and I would think, God, I'm like so good at my job when I'm high. And I need it to be better at my job or I was like sick all the time. Um, it just was like a work thinking, but 
um, it's taken me a lot of a, 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 many years to try to forgive myself because I mean, how can you forgive yourself for throwing your life away and throwing friendships away and time with family away? And, you know, where would I be without it? But it's those shoulda, coulda, wouldas. And it was, it was not Jeff's fault. It wasn't George's fault. It wasn't my father's fault. It was, uh, it was hundred percent my fault that I made that choice, but it's just such a baffling disease that there's no way to like say like, well, I wouldn't have become an addict anyway, you know? Right. And this whole purpose for me putting out this podcast is to help people understand that life is crazy, yeah. right? We all have different paths and purposes. And this maybe was part of your purpose is because you are a success story to now take the rest of your life to help other people who are struggling. Right. Even if in my book, even if I help one person out there, I've succeeded. Yeah. Because you take what you've gone through because there's always purpose in the pain, right? Always. So taking those lessons learned and applying it and helping other people who are struggling. And not even just people who are struggling, but the people who don't know about addiction was I a shitty person? Yeah, I was a real shitty person, but I was still a person. And there were people that treated me like I wasn't. I mean, when I was homeless, people could, they could care less. And I wasn't looking for a handout. It was like looking for kindness and understanding. And, you know, that tough love crap, maybe it works on some people. It didn't work for me. And I didn't, that's not what I needed from family. Um, So just, it's not even just helping people, which of course, like if you're, if you are listening to this and you are struggling, you are welcome to reach out by no means am I a professional, but I have been there, done that. I have tried recovery in 15,000 different ways. Um, and I just found a way that was successful for me and, and it's different for everybody. It's different for everyone. It is. And there are a couple of things I definitely want to touch on that because, and to comment again on Jelly Roll, like he said that people look at delinquent youth in such a negative light, like what they need is discipline. No, what they need is love, right? They're human beings that just need love and care and to show that they do have a future despite their choices in the past. And they do have people that care about them and that it will be there for them no matter what. So going back to the people that treated you poorly when you were homeless or friendships that you thought would last forever that fell away. Are you happy that they fell away? Because at the end of the day, in my opinion, like if somebody's not going to stick with you through the good, the bad, and the ugly, do you even want them in your life? Regardless whether they're family or friends. Yeah, that's a hard question. Um, I can't blame, like I have a a, a girlfriend um, who I thought, man, we were like two peas in a pod. We spent all the time together. I'm all my Facebook memories from like 15 years ago were with this person and she just took it very personal and very, um, she was hurt that I was using and using around her and lying and she never could come back for that. Can I blame her for that? No. Would I like to still be friends with her? Maybe. I don't know. Cause it's been so long, but, um, I'd like to have a conversation and apologize, but, if you don't understand it, then you don't understand it. If you're not willing to understand it, willing to listen. Um, and there are still people in my own family that say it was a choice. You know, it's yeah. not like a disease you chose to use. You chose to relapse. Ooh, my brain was wired different. Right. And I had shit going on in my head. And, 
yeah, you're right. Like it was a choice to pick up that maybe that first time, but it was out of my control. And it was just, and I'm not saying that as an excuse. It's not an excuse. Um, but it's, it's, it's definitely, it has to be an ongoing recovery. Just like, you know, if you have diabetes, you should take care of it every day so that you're not slipping back into illness. Um, the same goes for recovery. Yeah, hundred percent. And I think that's what was the pivotal changing point for my relationship with my brother was the day I educated myself and knowing that it's a disease and not a choice. Right. And then I was able to support him differently and be right. there for him regardless of what it was that he was doing. So I just showed him love and support and I'm grateful for that because had I closed the door on our relationship, I would never forgive myself because he's no longer here. Right. So I'm grateful that I, number one, educated myself on the disease so that I could understand it a little bit better to know how to support him. Even if that was just, Hey, I'm here for you. Like there's nothing I could do for his disease and right to stop him from using or anything, but I'm grateful that I just showed him that love and he knew it. He knew how much I loved him. And so I can go to sleep at night knowing like I did everything in my power to show him love and to be there for him. And obviously wish he was still here, but I don't have any regrets when it comes to his. And because you understand, you don't blame yourself. No, I don't blame myself. I I'm sad that I didn't talk to him the night he died because I was mad at him for going out. He you know, got a phone call from the one loser he used to use with. I'll probably tell this story another day in the podcast, but you know, he said goodbye. And I didn't say anything back to him because I knew he was going out with the loser and I was mad at him. Um, so that's the only regret that, you know, I didn't just maybe have a conversation with him before he left, but I yeah. can't blame myself for that. Like he was going to go and do that regardless of whatever Whether I said. You said goodbye or not. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah. I don't blame myself for anything. Um, and I'm grateful that I took the time out to educate myself. So if you do have a loved one out there that's struggling with addiction, my highest recommendation is to educate yourself. And what would your, like, um, if you could give advice to someone who loves an addict or a parent Mm. who has a child, that's an addict, what would your advice be to those individuals? Uh, it's hard because I didn't really, I didn't have parents who, took me in and let me shower, gave me a sandwich. I tried, but <laughs> they, uh, you know, I remember going to my mom's house and saying, I just want to shower and I just need to eat a sandwich. And the door was shut in my face. And to her, that was, I'm not going to enable you. Um, I don't think letting your child in to take a shower and have a sandwich is enabling. In my opinion, I feel like that's supporting. Um, but I, I, the only advice I'd say is just love them, love them either from a distance and let them know that you love them or love them at close, but don't give them anything to fuel their addiction. Don't give them money. Don't give them rides, but just give them love. And, you know, I think that makes all the difference in the world. All that it makes, it makes you feel less alone because I felt very alone in my addiction and in my recovery Um, I had my dog and she's the reason why I'm clean today. Swear to God. She was my motivation for saying like, Hey, it's not just me. I've got to get a place for my dog. And I just loved her so much. And, um, but I, she made me feel less lonely. And a lot of people are like, how did you get, you know, 
long story short, I got this dog when I was homeless and she <laughs> didn't know dog food for the first year of her life because she ate out of dumpsters. Um, but she was this cute little pit bull puppy. And I just thought I need a reason to live. And she gave me a reason to live. And literally that's why I got the puppy was because I was so close to death. I did not care about anything and I needed something to care about because I did not care about myself. And so she gave me that love and she gave me that purpose. And I guess that would be my advice. If you know someone who's struggling with addiction, just give them love, give them purpose. Let them know, like, I would, I would be sad if you weren't here. Mm -hmm. And when you're ready for help, I will give you help. And that's all you can do. You just wait for them to get help. Yeah. And I think it's so pivotal, not only for people in recovery, but everybody out there to find something that means more to you than you. Right. Right. So find whether it's a higher power, whether it's something in the universe, whether it's a dog, like find something that means more to you than you mean to you. Right. And you've been to meetings. Do you know I what have. the first step is? The first of the. Of the 12 of step the 12 recovery. Steps? Yeah. Um, Curious to know if you know what it is. I knew them and I don't remember now. Because I even went to Al-Anon meetings. Yeah. And we have to say them in Al-Anon. Yeah. Al -Anon, so to, the gist of it is you give it up to your higher power, mm -hmm. right? And so what a lot of people don't know is that higher power does not need to be God. Nope. You can make your higher power sucker, right? Could be T-Swift. Right. If you're a Swifty. And it doesn't mean you're worshiping. It's just like, instead of getting high, I'm going to go play soccer. I'm going to go pray. I'm going to go listen to Taylor Swift. So you're giving up your higher power. I mean, excuse me, you're giving up your, your addiction to the higher power by saying like, I can't handle it. I need help. Um, and so someone told me that once in the rooms and I was like, oh, that makes sense. You know, yeah, because it's a great way to look at it. Right. Because a lot of people don't want to believe in God or don't want to believe that there's something else after death. And, right. And that's what they get focused on when they say higher power. Well, and when you've gone through hell and back, um, it's very difficult to say that it's very, for me, even though I believe in God, it was like, well, where was God? You know, so when you're just coming off the street or you're just coming out of addiction and you're trying to get into recovery, you're angry and you're angry at yourself and you're angry at, if you believe in God, God, in my experience, because it was like, well, where are you when this happened when I was homeless? Or where were you when I decided to try this drug? Or where were you when I was 12 and this trauma happened? Um, so it's difficult to give up your addiction to a higher power when you're so angry. Um, and so I think for me and just for me alone, having my dog really helped because it was like, all right, I'm going to take her for a walk. And just for right this minute, instead of using, I'm going to take her for a walk. And then I'll worry about what I'm going to do after I take her for that walk. And sometimes I'd walk her a lot. <laughs> We'd be on a lot of walks. She'd be like laying on the pavement. I actually have pictures. I should uh, send it so you guys can see her. Yeah, she we'll just, throw up some photos. She would just literally lay down on the pavement. You have walked me so much, um, but it's what kept me clean. And she, I think she knew it. And um that's amazing. Yeah. Jelly Roll talks about that too. He was like, okay, when times get tough, like I need to go down to the kitchen and drink a glass of water. Right. And if I'm still struggling, then I'll go for a walk or I'll go stand outside. Yep. He's like, and sometimes I just cancel the rest of my entire day and I go back to bed. Yeah. He's like, that's the truth that we don't talk about enough. Right. Cause you're not worried about what you're doing in five minutes. No, you're worried about how am I going to get through this minute? Cause it only takes a minute when I was driving home and I took that exit. It literally took just a minute. 
for me to get off that exit. Um, had I had a plan, okay, I'm going to be on the phone. Okay, I'm going to listen to my favorite song so that my mind was focusing on something other than my addiction, other than my disease. Um, that story maybe would have been rewritten, you know, and I wouldn't have gone through another however long months of hell or years of hell. Um, so it's, you know. Yeah. And Shannon Kaiser talks about it in her book, Return to You. She said every emotion lasts about five or six minutes. Right. So if you can just push through. And I really, once I read that, because a lot of times when I get emotional, I, I stuff it down because mm -hmm. I don't want to cry. Right. Right. Oh, I hate crying. I know. So weird. I hate it. But when I'm home and I just let it out, I just let myself ride that wave. It truly is only a couple of minutes. Yeah. And then you're through it. So like anything, if you can just push through that uncomfortable feeling or emotion, yeah, you can get on the other side of it in a couple minutes. And now that I'm in, I mean, I could never, I'm like, oh, I just want to get to a month. I just want to get to a year. And now that I'm almost nine years clean, it's like, I feel like I can do anything because I went through drug sickness and I can do anything because I, I was able to overcome you know, just for today that the disease of addiction, I mean, I go to work with the flu because it's like, well, I went through drug addiction. I went through drug sickness. So like, it's just the flu. Um, it puts everything in retrospect. It puts everything in perspective. Um, and having that positive mindset, which took me a long time to build. And thanks, thanks to Michelle, who was my accountability partner on my goals and positive mindset, because man, it's hard to be positive. It's hard to like, think about things you're grateful for when maybe you don't have a lot, but there was a point where you were very negative very and negative. it was like impacting our friendship because I'm like, God, I don't like, I love you so much, but I was getting brought down by your negativity that right. I was like, like, we got to do something here because like, I can't. Yeah. I, I, and I didn't want you to live like that right. because you're such a fun, beautiful person inside and out that I'm like, I appreciate God, that. you have so much. And I just want you to be happy. It's easy to be, I have no teeth. Um, you know, <laughs> heroin took my teeth and it's easy to be like, damn, like, oh God, I just, I really want a freaking steak, but you know what? You got to be <laughs> grateful for that broccoli cheddar soup. Cause it's banging. You know what I mean? Like you got to change the perspective. Like Everything I wear dentures at 38. Shit happens. At least I have dentures, you know, it's true. At least I have a water to brush my teeth. At least I have, you know, yeah. A there toothbrush. Are, you know, right. there are millions of people in the world that don't even have clean drinking water. Millions right. of people that's out of this world. So right. like my last episode was all about mindset. It's just changing your mindset and turning it into gratitude when you can't find another reason to be happy. If you just look at gratitude, it can change your entire And life. that helped in early recovery. You know, when the, I tried the meetings and meetings are great. The rooms are great. I did them. I did them for the first few years. I don't do meetings anymore. Um, but I learned a lot. And, and through that was like giving up your higher power, giving up your addiction to a higher power and uh, accountability, you know, saying sorry to people when you do something wrong, um, taking inventory, like, what is it about you that it's not everybody else? It's you. What about your shit that you have to work on? Take inventory about like what you did in your responsibility life, take for, accountability yeah. for it, and then turn it around so that you don't do it again. And um, one of the things is like just being grateful. And at the end of the day, you write three things that you're grateful for. You had the worst day of your life. 
you can think of three things you're grateful for. It's true. You know, it really is. But it's like whether you want to make that choice to be grateful and find things to be happy about or whether you want to wallow in self. Yeah. And I will say that recovery is a choice. Once you get the drugs out of your body and once you have made that decision, I'm going to be clean. I'm going to be, you know, I don't want to go back to living addiction. I want to I want to do more than just survive. I want to live. You have to make that choice every morning to 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 do your recovery and to work at it, surround yourself with positive people. Um, and just know that you got it. Like, yeah, that was going to be my question. Like, what do you resort to when things get hard? But you pretty much just answered that. Yeah. And I did things differently. So in my recovery this last time, I never wanted to be on any kind of, um, you know, methadone program or anything. I had tried, there's, um, a synthetic heroin called Suboxone. Um, and suboxone for me was not enough because it was like, you get it once a week, you go to a group and then they send you home and then you have to be responsible for your, you know, seven strips of, they're coming like little strips. You had to be responsible for it. For me, it was like, well, I can sell them or I can shoot them or I can misuse them and take more at once to get a high. And so that didn't work. And I relapsed to that, but, um, I was so desperate this last time that I was like, well, I've tried everything. I've gone to detox. I've gone to rehab. I've tried cold turkey. I've taken FMLA from work. I've tried Suboxone. I'm just going to try methadone. I don't want to do it. I had a bad idea about it and it gets into your bones and, you know, you hear stories and, you know, it was mainly to it for the rest of your life. Addicted for it. And it was mainly people in detox saying, well, don't go on methadone. It's you know, but that was their story and that was for them. And and so I was like, so against it. And I said, well, nothing's working. I'm going to die. I've got to try something different. And so I did, I tried, I went on methadone and it was a very structured program. I had to go every morning at five 30. I was not allowed to take it home. I had to earn to get, get take home bottles. Um, and it worked for me and I was on it for five years and then I wasn't on it, you know? And it was like, getting off of it was such a great feeling that I felt successful. I was going to say, I'm so damn proud of you for that because you weaned yourself down Mm -hmm. to the point where you were able to go off of it. And I know like how, how much of a struggle that was, first of all. And secondly, how scary it was to get down to that last dosage and to be like, okay, I'm going to go off of it. Right. And it was a very little taper and I did it myself and I started the taper one year in And it took four years and I did it very slow and it was difficult. It was hard. I'm so proud of you. That's huge. It was. And I think that's why my teeth, honestly, why my teeth started falling out, but who knew I didn't brush my teeth when I was using. So, (laughs) I mean, it could have gotten my bones. It could have just been like, my teeth were like, all right, we're ready to leave. Um, But we used to buy her toothbrushes at like for Christmas. Yeah. Yeah. She just never brushed her teeth. Never. But I'm damn proud of you. And I remember the counselors like talking you out of weaning yourself down and going on. Yeah, they were like, don't do it. But I just knew like, nope, this is what I want. And I was very, um, I had a great program. I had a great, I was like really working it. And you know what? One thing that I wanted to mention, if you are thinking about getting clean, get yourself a conservator. Do you know what a conservator is, Michelle? I sure do. Talk about it. Well, you should talk about it because you went through it. Yeah, it was amazing for you. So in the state of Connecticut, um, I 
it was paid for by the state of Connecticut that I got a conservator. So I went to the court um, and actually signed over my financial rights and said, I am not responsible. I don't know how to pay my bills. I need financial help. And so shout out to Chad. Chad, I hope what up, Chad? Chad was my conservator for many years. And as an adult in your early 30s, it's kind of embarrassing to get an allowance. But Chad gave me $100. Whatever works. Every man. Monday, I had to go to the office. He gave me $100 every Monday. And that was it. That's all I had to spend all week. He paid my bills for me. Um, if I wanted to buy a new coat, I had to t tell him exactly the coat. I had to show him how much it is. Then I had to, he would give me the money and I would give him a receipt. Like it was a very, like I was a child. And I tell you, I tried so hard, Chad, <laughs> to play him. Um, but it saved me. It really did because I had no control over my money. I could not make any financial decisions without his say so. And finally, I, I think I had Chad for about six years. He said, Mara, you don't need me anymore. That's and that amazing. was a good feeling. That was a good feeling. And I said, are you sure? And he said, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you don't need me anymore. And, um, I, I, I still, you know, I still think about him all the time. Cause he really did. He's he's, I, I think That's I maybe, advice. maybe would have relapsed, but it's, it's a free thing. I mean, you just look into the state of Connecticut. I, I called here it's 211. I don't know if that's nationwide, but I called 211 and um I said, listen, I need help. And they that's was their idea and it helped me. That's amazing. Yeah. I love that. Did I like having an allowance? I did Hell not, no. but saved your ass. You make it work and you learn again how to like budget your money. Um I could use that. Cause... Right. And I don't know if you know this, but a hundred dollars is not that much money. <laughs> no. So, me, I mean, this was, no, a few, this was quite a few years ago, but it's like, you have to consider gas. I, I'm a smoker. So cigarettes. So not only am I budgeting my money, I'm budgeting my cigarettes and I'm budgeting like where I'm going to drive. And it, I mean, it was really helpful. So I recommend that to anybody new in recovery to get a financial advisor um, or a conservator because it was. That's amazing. Yeah. Love you, Chad. <laughs> Love you, Chad. One last thing before we end this, but I just want you to have a different perspective on this, right? Sure. So you blame yourself for potentially not having kids, right? Because of those years you wasted while you were using. It's hard for me not to think I could have kids if I if my life went a different way. Yes. Right. However, comma, mm. I am 38, mm -hmm. single no children, want children, want a family. Right. And I've never used drugs in my life. Right. Well, so you never know which way life is going to take you. It's fucking mind blowing. It is I mind blowing. I'm allowed to swear on this podcast. Oh yeah. hundred percent. Explicit. No, um, we're fine. That does put it in a different perspective. You know, it's like, so you always can look at your life and be like, fuck, like had I not done this, I would be somewhere different. Right. But you just never know where life's going to take you. So I just want you to try to stop blaming yourself because like, yeah, I, I don't have those things either. Right. And I, you know what I mean? <laughs> I wasn't in, you know, recovery. And I've Do never you ever to... think if your life went a different way that you would? Like if you no. say like, if I chose to not no. do this or that. No, because I was with a person for five years who I saw a million red flags and I should have walked away from. Mm. Had I walked away from him sooner, would I be in a different spot? Would I be married and have kids? Maybe. Maybe. But I wouldn't have learned the lessons I learned had I not 
stayed with him that entire time. Right. I needed to learn those lessons in my life for myself. Right. I needed to learn to trust my gut. That was the biggest lesson I ever learned. So I don't look at my life as, damn it, I should have made better choices. I look at it as, I'm grateful I learned those lessons. Now moving forward, I'll never do that again. Right. And life is what it is. And if I'm meant to have kids, I will. And if I'm not, I'm, I right. won't. Like, and I do look at my life now and think, all right, if I didn't, you know, pick up when I was 25 and start using um, or whatever age I was at, um, maybe I would have had kids, but maybe those kids, that, that was the control, you know, like back to like when I used to cut, it was all a control thing. It was like the world around you is going and like you are just so out of control with your emotions and your mind and you just need something to freaking focus on and numb you and maybe the kids would have made me spiral out of control too because you it's hard to stick to a schedule with kids right. I, I would think i would i would assume so you know i would think you're not eating at sorrentino's every <laughs> tuesday night at six o'clock if you've got kids running no. around right shout out to sorrentino's <laughs> manchester <laughs> Well, I love you so damn much. I'm so proud I love of you. you. Thank you so much for having me. This was great. And like I said, I, you know, I, I love talking about recovery. Um, I'm not shy about it. Um, people are surprised, you know, when they, they see me at work or something and I, and I talk about it because you wouldn't think that looking at me, like I'm right. an addict, but <clears throat> excuse me. I think that's the scary part is that anybody could be an addict. Anyone, anyone. could be struggling at any time with alcoholism, depression, and it's so important to talk about it. And I think maybe even the pain pill epidemic, yes. you have surgery and you get yes. prescribed and pain I pills. Think years ago, you know, cut eight years ago when I was in the middle of my addiction, I, it was very shameful. And I don't feel like people talked about it a lot. No, it was like, I was bad and I was a shitty person and I didn't feel comfortable because I didn't think people would understand. So bringing awareness to recovery it's is huge. so important in that too, because um, as an addict, you just want a voice and you want someone to listen. And sometimes that's all I needed. And who was I going to talk to? Right. Who was I going to talk to that would say, that wouldn't say, just go get help, just stop. And that's the last thing you want to hear is you don't want to hear just stop because you can't and you've tried and you wake up every morning trying yeah and um I know my mom and I felt for you big time you know and tried to yeah for you too but. yeah and that's like a, you know means more than you'll ever know yeah because so. it can happen to anyone at any moment and people in recovery are just trying to figure it out just like the rest of us right like we might not have a full-blown drug addiction but we are trying to figure life out as well so right. like, why are we giving people in recovery a hard time when we don't know what the fuck we're doing with our lives either right so Right. It's like just having more compassion and love for everyone. Right. And you wouldn't blame a cancer patient um, for getting cancer because they smoked. Um, you wouldn't blame a diabetes patient for, you know, Even having diabetes because they had cake. So, you know, I think if you're listening and you're not in and you're not an addict and you're trying to understand, I would say, please have empathy and don't. um don't blame the person and just love us and try to try to learn more. And there's so many articles out there and research um, and know that, you know, we're people too. And if you're um, in active addiction right now and you want to stop or you want someone to talk to, please feel free to contact Michelle or I uh, slip right into our DMS. Oh, there we go. We will be happy to talk to you. And if you're in recovery, 
You are a success story and we're you proud are. of you. So proud of you. I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you. I love you Let's so much. Oh, I love you so much. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. I really Anytime. enjoyed it. Any damn time. I did too. And I think it's a topic that we need to talk about more in I a agree. positive light. I so. agree. Thank you all so much for tuning in. I uh, can't wait to get this out into the world. And if you have any questions, please feel free to reach out to myself or Mara. I'll put her contact info in the show notes. And we just love you guys. And we'll talk soon. Bye, guys. It was fun. See ya.